Welcome to Church History for Everyone, a podcast that brings to life the stories of the saints of generations gone by. From Athanasius to William Carey, and from Nero's persecutions to the Great Awakening, we provide a digestible and challenging look at the figures and events that have shaped church history and, in turn, changed the world. Now, here's your host, Christopher Hume. We ended last episode with the formation of a body of believers meeting in Scrooby, England. John Robinson is the pastor, William Brewster, the mature elder, and William Bradford, the young teenager who has finally found the spiritual community he was longing for. Among this group were many others, of course, men, women, husbands, wives, boys and girls, and this group of Christians had made the decisive and dangerous break from the Church of England, for they were convinced that the purity of God's word was corrupted and twisted by the king and his bishops. And they longed for a simple church built upon the model of the New Testament, not the structures and bureaucracy of the English government. Now, when King James was crowned King of England, many Puritans did hope that he would be sympathetic to their requests. They were, however, quickly disappointed and found in King James another persecutor of the true Christian faith. William Bradford's coming of age as a young man occurred at exactly the same time as King James' rise to power in England. And while many Christians today are rather ambivalent about King James merely associating him with the most famous English translation of the Bible, to William Bradford and other Puritans, King James was an existential threat to their safety, livelihood, and religious freedom. And the stakes were about to get more serious for these Christians sitting under John Robinson's preaching in Scrooby. You see, while William Bradford and others began the dangerous business of forming an unauthorized church, trouble was already brewing in London, 160 miles south. Trouble that foreshadowed the days ahead for Bradford and the Scrooby believers. You see, prisons in London were being filled with people whose only crime was the sincerity of their Christian faith. Now, King James was undoubtedly different than Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth, but when able, he maintained the same system of oppression in England that often severely punished those who sought to free themselves from the power of the Church of England. William Bradford, in fact, would later write of those men who would perish in prison by cold, hunger, or just the harmful and disgusting conditions of prison, never even having been brought to trial. One man, a George Cotton, was arrested not for leaving the Church of England, but merely for hearing a portion of scripture read in a friend's house. Cotton spent over two years in prison for this offense against the crown. Now, Anglican preachers in London were even employed as spies visiting the prisoners and seeking to elicit evidence that could be used against them, even though it often seems like the need for evidence was hardly an issue for James and the bishops. Now, upon hearing these stories of prisoners in London, the congregants in Scrooby were doubtless reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, which in the Geneva Bible reads as follows. For both ye sorrowed with me for my bonds and suffered with joy the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves how that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. The same persecution that believers in the first century faced 
was confronting Puritans and Separatists in England under King James. This also probably contributes to the mentality of Robinson, Brewster, and Bradford. They did indeed see themselves as faithfully, though imperfectly, carrying out the New Testament model of the church. And as such, they were to experience the same persecution that church did 1,600 years earlier. And they may have taken a great measure of comfort in that fact, but nevertheless, the threat of state persecution no doubt loomed large over Bradford and the believers in Scrooby. When would they be forced to abandon home and property and be locked up in prison? It turns out it happened sooner rather than later. It seems that in 1607, at least two members of the Scrooby congregation, according to Bradford, were taken and clapped up in prison. One of these may have been a man named Gervais Neville. A member of the Scrooby congregation, Neville was charged with, quote, maintaining erroneous opinions and imprisoned in the castle at York. Others received the treatment of being watched night and day by civil or religious authorities. Even William Brewster, the former assistant to one of Queen Elizabeth's top officials, was not immune. Brewster, along with two other members of the church, was summoned to appear before the court due to being charged with disobedience in matters of religion. Rather than acquiescing to the summons, however, Brewster and the others went into hiding, perhaps at least subconsciously influenced by Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 23, and when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. Now, fleeing from persecution, it must be noted, is not always a cowardly response in Scripture or in church history. William Brewster, John Robinson, and William Bradford, and the others who fellowshiped with them were not cowardly men and women. They were willing to risk life and limb for the sake of honoring Jesus Christ. You see, if they were merely seeking to maintain a comfortable life, they would have rather quickly submitted to King James and the bishops of the Church of England. Their fleeing wasn't simply a desire to avoid discomfort or conflict, though that must not be ignored, but the bigger picture was their unwavering desire to be free to worship Christ as a church body united in the truth of Scripture. This desire did indeed lead them to flee, but not simply to another city, as in Matthew 10, but rather to another nation. It may surprise many Americans that the first great journey of the pilgrims was not to America, but to Holland. And this destination made sense for several reasons. Number one, it was relatively close to England. And though trips across the English Channel could be dangerous in Bradford's day, they were nothing compared to the crossing of the Atlantic. Number two, many English separatists had already made the trip to Holland, seeking to rid themselves of the harassment from King James and the Church of England. And number three, and most importantly, Holland was a place, William Bradford recounts, where they heard was freedom of religion. And religious freedom did abound in Holland. In fact, some Christians even criticized the laxity and carnal policy of the Dutch government, noting that the Republic is more to them than heaven, and God may be more safely offended there than the state. Catholics, Jews, Lutherans, Mennonites, Moravians, Quakers, and even Muslims were among the major groups representing the religious diversity of Amsterdam, the pilgrims' intended destination in Holland. But getting to this new world of Holland would prove quite difficult, despite the fact that King James had said he would force out of the land any who failed to conform to the Church of England, 
he made it painstakingly difficult for the separatists of Scrooby to abscond to the continent. Most all of what we know about the Pilgrim's trip to Holland comes from Bradford's journal, written several years after the fact. Nevertheless, in this journal, Bradford writes about how ports were shut against them, forcing them to bribe captains of ships and give extraordinary rates for their passages. At one point, a significant portion of the church seems to have arranged to board a ship in Lincolnshire. Upon arriving at the prearranged location, the separatists waited long past the set time. Finally, the English captain arrived, received the hefty payment for his services, took everyone aboard his ship, and then he promptly betrayed them all. Civil authorities had been tipped off and were lying in wait to arrest the separatists. Bradford writes how the authorities rifled and ransacked them, searching them to their shirts for money. He also noted how the searching involved touching the women in ways that went beyond modesty and prudence. As if they hadn't suffered enough, they were then brought back into town and made a spectacle to the multitude that came flocking on all sides to see them. After a month of imprisonment, most of the prisoners, if not all of them, were released. And then another attempt to flee to Holland was made the following year, but this one was disappointing as well, to say the least. This time, the separatists hired a Dutch captain, and he proved to be more trustworthy if skittish. When half the people had boarded his ship, he spotted a large group of horsemen coming for the separatists. At that, he immediately sailed away, leaving many men and all of the women and children behind in England. Bradford recalls how the men on the ship were in great distress for their wives and children, left thus to be captured and destitute of help. The men on the ship eventually made it to Holland after 14 days of difficult sailing. The rest of the church remained behind in England, being hurried from one court or prison to another. William Bradford and William Brewster were among those that didn't make it aboard the Dutch ship. They would have spent weeks with fellow church members, most of them women and children, who doubted if they would ever see their husbands and fathers again. In time, however, in God's providence, the officials grew weary of dealing with the people and hesitant to imprison so many innocent women and children who simply wanted to go with their husbands. They eventually released the prisoners and most everyone who still desired was able to find a way to Holland in the course of time. In closing this section of his journal, Bradford makes a remarkable observation. He notes how God used these trials to make the pilgrims famous in England. These events and the separatists' faith in God in the midst of them led, quote, many to inquire into it, and their Christian behavior left a deep impression on the minds of many, end quote. In fact, it is possible that those Puritans who would later come to America after Bradford and establish Boston, men such as John Winthrop and later John Cotton, were deeply influenced by the steadfastness and commitment of the Scrooby separatists. In my mind, it is nearly unquestionable that Pastor John Robinson would have encouraged the congregation with the words from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which calls Christians to always have an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the faith that is in you. Usually this passage is used when talking of evangelism and apologetics, but the context of 1 Peter 3 is suffering for righteousness sake, suffering that the pilgrims were in fact experiencing in England under King James. And they would have no doubt read the notes in their Geneva Bible for that passage 
which read as follows. He will have us when we are afflicted for righteousness sake to be careful not for redeeming of our life, either with denying or renouncing the truth or with like violence or any such means, but rather to give an account of our faith boldly and yet with a meek spirit and full to godly reverence that the enemies may not have anything justly to object, but may rather be ashamed of themselves. The way that Bradford and Brewster and the other men and women who experienced such persecution responded to those trials was a testament to the grace of God and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is true that there was some winnowing among the ranks during these trials in reaching Holland, but those that remained had further established a bond that would serve them well in the days ahead. In one final example of the conflict that was becoming commonplace to these men and women, Bradford was seized as a fugitive upon finally arriving in Holland. He was soon exonerated and was thus free to join his fellow church members in Amsterdam. Bradford was 18 years old, already a man beginning to understand the challenges of living out his faith with a group of like-minded believers in dangerous and difficult times. That experience would serve him more than he could have known in the days ahead. And so the pilgrims made it to Holland. Though this was not the rugged wilderness of America that they would experience later, this was indeed a new world to them. Far from the rural fields of Osterfield, William Bradford found himself in a strange land with a strange language and strange people all around him. In many ways, however, the next 10 years are going to be peaceful, blissful years, years of fellowship, discipleship, instruction, and edification, years in which Bradford would sit under the preaching of one of the most capable, if underrated, pastors in church history in John Robinson, years in which Bradford's biblical worldview would be further shaped and encouraged by the expositional preaching of the Word of God. But there were also to be serious challenges ahead, but perhaps not the ones that we or even the pilgrims themselves would have expected. For those challenges and the impetus to seek another land, we will have to wait until our next episode. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Church History for Everyone. For information about following Jesus, the King of History, visit reformedhope.com and be sure to join us for our next episode. Until then, go live out your story as a servant of the risen Savior.